morning, everybody. As Ben said, my name is Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor at our Carmel campus. So good to be back with you. Uh, if you don't know, uh, that was uh, Alyssa Chapman, who is leading worship for us this morning. Uh, Josh Rogers, your friend and mine, is over at our Carmel campus this morning leading with Cameron. So uh, it's great that uh, Alyssa gets to come over here and co-lead with Austin, who I think you all know. So it's so good for us to be here. Last time I was here, you guys had these little dinky screens over here and uh, nasty stained carpet in the auditorium. So I got to say, already this year is off to a better start for this campus, right? Hey, I wonder, uh, by applause, how many of you are believing and trusting that this year can be better than last? Are you doing that? Good, good. I love, I love the faith behind that. I love the amount of faith it takes to believe that God can do something better in our lives uh, this year than last year. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you know that if this year is going to be better than last, that you've got an important decision or some important decisions to make, some big decisions? Raise your hand if you believe that. You know, you've got some big decisions. Yeah, right. A lot of us have big decisions to make. If this year is going to be better than last, we've got some big decisions to make, right? Like maybe for you, it's with your job. Am I going to keep the job I have or am I going to get a new one? Maybe you're in the job market and there's a couple opportunities. Which one are you going to pursue? Which one am I going to go after? Which job is the best fit for me? Maybe for you, it's your living situation. Is, is this the year I'm finally going to stop renting and buy a house? Is this the year I'm going to move out of my parents' home and get a place of my own? Or maybe for you, being on your own hasn't quite worked out and you're thinking maybe I need to move back in to my parents' home. Maybe if you've got adult children, you're thinking of renovating your kid's old bedroom into a study so they can't move back in to your home. You've got a big decision to make, right? Maybe for you, it's a question around a relationship. Is this the year we're finally going to get married? Is this the year we're finally going to get engaged? Or, or maybe it's, is it time to end that relationship with that boyfriend or girlfriend that I've been having? Uh, maybe you're a student and you're thinking about uh, where to go to college. It's a big decision, Right? Uh, where am I going to go to college? Am I going to go to college? Am I even going to get in any place? And if so, where am I going to go? And am I going to stay at home and try to save some money? Or am I going to go away and uh, go to the big school that I got into? Maybe for you, it's uh, am I going to stay at home with the kids? Or am I going to try to go back to work? You know, are we going to try to pay off some debt? Or am I going to try to stay home and, and raise my kids? Uh, for you, maybe it's, is it time to buy a newer car? Time to get something that I know is going to be more reliable, or do I really just want to get out of debt and get that debt paid off? You know, I had a friend uh, one time many years ago that said something to me about these big decisions that really changed the way I look at them. In fact, he gave me this. I don't know if you can see this in the back, if you know what this is. Um, this is a $2 bill, and he gave this. I still have it. Uh, this was probably 15 years ago now. He gave this to me, and he said, uh, I want you to see this. I want you to remember every time you see this $2 bill to remember that you only have to do two things in life, Steve. He said, you only have two things in your life that you have to do. And I said, yeah, I know. you got to die, and you got to pay taxes, right? That's what you always think when somebody says you got two things to do. And then he said, no, you, you don't understand. You don't have to pay taxes. He said, you may not like the consequences if you don't pay taxes, but you don't have to pay taxes. And then I realized later when I became a Christian, I realized you don't have to die either. That John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but will have eternal life, right? So you don't have to die or pay taxes, really, if you don't want to. But he said, he said, you only have to do two things in life. He says, you have to make decisions and you have to live with the consequences of those decisions. Those are the only two things you have to do in life. 
You know, see, a good, a good decision, we make decisions, and sometimes we make good decisions, right? And sometimes we make bad decisions. A good decision, by definition, is one where we like the consequences. We like the results of that decision. But all of us, I think, have made bad decisions, right? In fact, raise your hand if you ever made a bad decision. Anyone in the room? A couple people lying. But I think we've all made bad decisions at one point. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing about our decisions, especially these big decisions. Where you will be tomorrow is influenced by the decisions we make today, right? And in other words, I heard one person say it like this. We make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. And so we're in this series called Better. And over the three, these three weeks of this series, we've been looking at three verses from the Bible that say something is better than something else. And what we're doing is we've been working to memorize those scriptures. Have any of you been working to memorize those scriptures at home? We've been doing that around the dinner table. A couple of you, good. Uh, if you remember week one, it was this one, Psalm 8410. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Why don't you say that one with me? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Good. And then if you were here last week, you may remember that Paul uh, taught you this verse from Ecclesiastes 4.16. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Let's say that one together. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. What a great message for us last week. Now this week, we want to look at one more verse that says something better. And it's a verse that if we apply it to our lives... It will help us make more good decisions and fewer bad decisions. I mean, I think we all want to make more good decisions and fewer bad decisions, right? And so let's, let's look at this verse. It comes from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 16. It says, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. All right, let's say that one together. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather rather than silver. Let's say that one more time. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. You know, it's so telling, I think, that the author of this proverb chose gold as kind of the standard uh, for what we need to compare wisdom to. When this was written, gold was the most valuable substance you could find. And he writes, how much better to get wisdom than gold, right? And then silver would have been probably the second most valuable thing you could find. He said, to choose understanding rather than silver. Now, here's something you should know about this proverb. It was written by a man by the name of Solomon. Many of you probably know, even if you haven't read the Bible very much, you probably know a little bit about Sol Solomon. Uh, scripture tells us he was the wisest man who ever lived. That Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. If you've read any of the Bible, you know he wrote much of the book of Proverbs. He also wrote a book called Ecclesiastes, which we learned a verse from last week. Uh, he also, maybe you don't know anything about the Bible except Song of Solomon. Maybe you know that. And uh, Solomon was the author of that too. That he was the wisest man who ever lived. But scripture also says at the time that he lived, he was the wealthiest man who had ever lived. And so you think, how could a guy get so lucky to be so wise and so wealthy? Often those two go together, right? Some of the wealthiest people we know are the wisest people we know, but I think we all know people who are wealthy but aren't very wise, and we all wonder how they got that way, right? And maybe they're in your family, maybe it's a friend of yours, but uh, somebody who you think, 
how did they ever get so much money? They're not very wise, right? But if you wonder how Solomon got that way, it all stems from a story that was captured in the book of 2 Chronicles. And this happened right after uh, Solomon became the king of Israel. And it would have been customary for a new king to go to the temple or go to the tabernacle at the time or go to the place of worship and make an offering. And typically, uh, a new king or a new person in power would have gone and taken a bull and made a sacrifice of a bull to the Lord. But Solomon was so uh, overwhelmed by his appointment to king, he was so uh, desperate for God's blessing on his kingship that he didn't bring one bull or two bulls or three bulls or even ten bulls. Solomon made an extraordinarily generous offering and brought a thousand bulls to the place of worship and sacrificed them for his God. And so because of that, um, he made this exceptionally generous offering that the Lord decided to bless him. And so here's what happened. That very night, God appeared to Solomon in a dream and said this, 2 Chronicles 1-7. God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. <gasps> Can you imagine what would happen if the Lord came to you and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you? What would you ask for? You know, if you're like my kids, maybe you'd ask for more wishes, you know, but this isn't like a genie in a bottle or something. What would you ask for? Well, money, I think, comes to mind, first of all, right? Many of us would ask for money, for wealth. You know, you'd get money to get out of debt, uh, money to buy a home, money to get an education or to take a vacation, money to make someone jealous. Can we be real about that for a minute? Right? Maybe it's not money. Maybe uh, you're single, and maybe for you, what you really, really desperately want, what you would ask the Lord for is, I want a mate. I want a husband or a wife. I want a godly husband or I want a hot wife who knows how to cook and pray. Right, guys? You know, I, you're desperate for a mate. You're, you're, maybe, maybe you're sick or you're injured and what you would ask for is healing. Like, I really want to be past this illness or past this injury. And God, if you would give me just one thing, that's the one thing I would ask for. Or, or maybe you're here and you've been told you can't have a child. And you're desperate to have a little baby. And that's the one thing you would ask for is, God, would you just give me a baby? I just want to be a parent. Just give that to me. You know, well, of all the things that he could ask for, here's what Solomon said. Here's what he, how he responded to that. He said, Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to me, my father, David, be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Here's his, here's his wish. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this people of yours? You know, Solomon understood the responsibility that was placed on him as king of Israel. He understood the difficulty that would be involved in leading his people. He understood the uh, consequences, right, that would come from the decisions that he would have to make. And so he asked for wisdom. He asked for understanding, and he didn't ask for it for his own sake. He asked for it for the sake of God's people. And God was so pleased with Solomon's decision that the Bible says that God gave him wisdom, but also gave him wealth and possessions and a long life as well. In other words, it says that he gave him wisdom and all the other things as well. And much later in his life, when Solomon would look back over his life and write uh, much of the book of Proverbs, Solomon would look back on that decision he made 
to ask for wisdom. And he would say this, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. You know, when I was 28 years old, um, some of you, most of you know my story, I think, but some of you don't know. I, uh, I kind of grew up in the corporate world. I've been a pastor for about three and a half years. Uh, before that, I was in various management positions in the corporate world. And it, I got my first uh, management position at 28 years old. I was 28. I was uh, still in college. Um, if you want to know how smart I am, there you go. I was 28 years old and in college. Most of you were done by that and well on your way to your career, but I was 28, I was still in college, and what happened was in one day, I became my boss's boss. So if you can imagine, I came into work one day, and I was working for this guy, and then the next day, I became his boss. And so this happened twice in my career, but I very specifically, in this case, uh, walking into my boss's office, and he was telling me, okay, here's what we've got to do in the next couple weeks, here are the things we have to do, and then he stopped right in the middle, and he said, Hey, anytime you want to make this switch, you just let me know, you know, and so it was a little bit awkward for me, you know, not ever having led anybody before, and I realized that what I needed, because I had taken some classes, but I didn't have any real world experience, what I needed was wisdom and how to lead, and so I know that some of the people that I was, uh, I was working with were reading this book, it's called Developing the Leader Within You, John Maxwell, I don't know if anybody's ever read this book, have you read this book? Um, anyway, great book for leadership, and I started reading this, and I was just like overwhelmed by some of the wisdom that was in here. It was so good. And as I started reading it, I realized that um, John Maxwell isn't very original. He's a great author, but most of his wisdom he gets from somewhere else. And I realized that a lot of the wisdom in this book originally came from this book, especially from the book of Proverbs. And there was so much that John had to say about leadership, and so much of it came from the Bible. And so I thought, well, what am I bothering with that book for? Why don't I just read this book and learn about... What I learned was, even at the time, even as a non-Christian, or maybe I would call myself at that time a marginal Christian, but even as a non-Christian, the Bible had great wisdom for our lives. And I realized that through this first management job. It it helped me uh, lead better. It helped me live better. It helped me make better decisions. And that wisdom from this book became so incredibly valuable for me for leading people and making decisions because we all have to do two things, right? We all have to make decisions, and we all have to live with the consequences of those decisions. Proverbs 4, 7, um, Solomon wrote this too. He says, wisdom is the most important thing, so get wisdom. If it costs you everything you have, get understanding. Now realize, this was written by the wealthiest man who ever lived. And he says, if it costs you everything you have, get understanding, get it. If it costs you everything, you need wisdom. We all have decisions to make. We need wisdom to make the right decisions. Jesus didn't just come to be the savior of your life. He came to be the Lord of your life too. And if he's the Lord of your life, that means that you're letting him steer your life. You're letting him guide you. You know, when I was a kid, there was a bumper sticker that was pretty popular and it said, God is my co-pilot. Anybody old enough to remember that bumper sticker? You see that, God is my co-pilot, and then I saw that for about three or four years, and then I started seeing this other bumper sticker that said, if God is your co-pilot, move over. Right? God is your co-pilot, why don't you let him steer, let him drive? You know, you need wisdom in life, time and time again. The Bible draws a contrast between wise people and what it calls fools, foolish people. Scripture constantly reminds us that foolish people do one thing, but wise people do something better. 
right? And the truth is that all of us are fools sometimes, aren't we? Anybody ever make a foolish decision around here? Anybody willing to admit you're a fool sometimes? Good, lots of hands. I like that. Lots of honest people at this campus. Thank you for that. So let me be honest. Okay, let me think about this. How many of you always think before you act? Raise your hand. I'm not going to raise my hand. (laughs) So how many of you are willing to admit that sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, okay, but sometimes you act before you think? Right. The Bible says you're a fool for that. (laughs) Somebody, Somebody agrees. Amen. Somebody says amen. Um, I remember when my wife uh, was, my wife Benita is not here today, but uh, my kids are here. She was in labor with our first child. Both of our daughters were induced, and so we kind of knew the time and the date. We knew we had to show up at the hospital, and my daughter Grace, who's right here in the front row, um, uh, is almost 13. And uh, when Benita was pregnant with her, uh, we had the date set for our induction. We went to the hospital, and we had to be there at uh, 6.15 in the morning, and the doctor said, don't eat anything before you come. And so I was, I'm in solidarity with my wife, so I'm not going to eat anything, right? We're, we're there together. We're not eating. And I don't know if any of you ladies have ever been induced, but nothing really happens at first. They kind of bring you in the hospital, put you in that little awkward gown with the back open, and um, let you walk up and down the halls of the hospital, for a couple hours and, and just let's just see what happens, right? And so we're there and we're seeing what happens and 6.15 rolls into 8.30 and 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock and finally it's noon or 1 before anything starts happening, right? And uh, so I'm there and we're watching TV and I'm reading and I'm, you know, uh, helping my wife and things and then my stomach starts growling and grumbling, right, because I'm getting hungry and, and uh, so about 2 o'clock finally, so we've been there since 6.15, about 2 o'clock, the uh, anesthesiologist comes in and says, Dad, um, we're going to do the epidural now. We don't need you for this. Why don't you go get something to eat? So I look at my wife, and I look at the door, and I look at my wife, and I look at the door. I don't know what to do, you know. But then I realize, you know what? She has her ice chip. She's fine. And so I'm going to go. There's a Long John Silver's in the parking lot at the hospital, so I go down to Long John Silver's, get my meal, and I want to rush back, so I come back, and I'm eating my um, fish and hush puppies in the, in the room, and she, she was really fine with that. She was fine with that. She was great with that, but I realized, I remembered, we went through the pre-birthing class, right, the Lamaze class, and they said, Dad, your biggest role is that when labor starts, you're going to be the encourager, Right? So you've got to say things to your wife that are going to help her, that are going to help her get through this. And so I had taken some time because I'm kind of a witty guy, or I like to think of myself as a witty guy. And so I had written some things down. (laughs) You're getting way ahead of me. (laughs) I had written some things down that I wanted to say. And so we get into the heart of labor, and, you know, she's doing her thing. And in one particularly intense contraction, I'm at the foot of the bed. I look my wife in the eye and I say, honey, you can do this. You are a sturdy, handsome woman. And she says, what? (laughs) What did you say to me? And so uh, last week when I was writing this message, I asked my wife, I said, I need an example for um, fool's act before they think. Can you think of a time when I acted before I thought? And she immediately said, sturdy, handsome woman. (laughs) And I said, oh, that's a good example. But honey, the problem is I thought about that. I actually wrote it down. And she said, 
okay, how about right now? <laughs> the Bible says I'm a fool for that. A lot of you ladies do too. <laughs> because here are some things Scripture says about fools. It says this, fools act before they think. Fools act before they think. Proverbs 13, 16 says, wise people think before they act. Fools don't. And even brag about their foolishness. And here I am telling you all that story about my foolishness. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever, or ever do this, uh, spend more than you make in a given month or a given year? You ever do that? Anybody ever spend more than you make? The Bible says you're a fool for that. If you go into debt, uh, it says fools spend all they earn. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but the fools gulp theirs down. In other words, the wise don't devour everything they can get their hands on. They put some away for a rainy day. Because it's going to rain, isn't it? We all know it's going to rain. And if you get caught without an umbrella, you look like a fool, right? Scripture also tells us that fools hurt those they love. Fools hurt those they love. Proverbs 14.1 says it like this. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Nobody sets out to be a fool, right? We don't get up in the morning and think, I'm going to make a foolish decision or two today. Most people don't intentionally hurt the people we love, right? But sometimes if we don't have the wisdom, the decisions we make result in consequences that we don't really want to live with, right? We hurt our kids when we use harsh words or we say things that cut them down. We, we hurt our spouse when we say things that make them feel devalued. We, we hurt our parents when we don't obey or when we don't honor them. We, we don't intend to, but sometimes with the decisions we make, we can tear down our homes with our own words. Finally, Scripture says this, fools think they know it all. Proverbs 12, 15 says it this way, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. This is my life verse, man. I mean, for so many years, I was a fool in this. I, I thought I knew everything. I refused to listen to advice from wise people. I, no matter where I needed to go, don't, don't worry, don't bother me. I know the way. I know where I'm going. I, even though I haven't been there before, don't tell me where I need to go. Don't tell me what I need to do. Just, just I'm going, all right? Like I've got my eyes on the prize. I'm headed that direction. And I don't care if you've been there or not. I don't need your advice. It's a fool talking. I was a fool. I had no wisdom. Solomon says, how much better to get wisdom than gold to choose understanding rather than silver. So, if it's so much better to get wisdom than gold, how do we do it? How do we get it? Where do we look? You know, you got me. I got to get some wisdom. Tell me how I can get it. Well, I think there's four ways that we can do it, and I've put these in your notes if you want to follow along. Number one is this. We fear God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You may think there are a lot of ways to get wisdom. You know, I can watch Ellen, right? I can follow smart people on Twitter. I can ask my friends or my parents. But Scripture is clear. It all starts with a fear of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that you're afraid of God, right? This isn't like you're alone in the woods and he's coming after you fear. It's, it's not even a timid fear like he's watching you and you're afraid to make a mistake. You're ready for him to strike you down when you make your first mistake. It means, th this fear means a healthy reverence for God. It's a, it's a holy awe of God. It's a desire to please him. 
I think about it this way, adults in the room. If you had a good dad growing up, I know this isn't everybody, okay? But if you had a really good dad growing up, I bet that you weren't always best friends with him. I bet that at some point in your childhood or your young adulthood, um, he pushed you a little bit, right? It made you uncomfortable. He, He challenged you in some ways. I bet you had a healthy fear of your dad, that you wanted to please him. You didn't want to disappoint him, right? He pushed you a little harder than you thought you needed to be pushed. He expected more from you if you had a good dad, right? Many of us today lack a healthy fear of the Lord. You know, we come in this room with our coffee cups and we, we watch as the band plays a couple songs, right? We never really worship. And look, I'm glad we're a church where you can wear your football jersey, right, and, and uh, drink your coffee. I'm glad, hey, I can wear on stage while I'm preaching a, a colt trampling a patriot shirt, right? That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. But let's not let our casualness of wardrobe be confused with a casualness toward God right? We need to have a healthy fear for him, a healthy respect for him. Some of us say, you know, we talk about the big guy or the man upstairs, you know, we might say, you know, me and the big guy, we're good. Like, like I, I do my thing and I don't worry about what you believe. I don't, maybe don't believe the same thing, but I do my thing and God, we, me and God, we're good, right? Well I, well, I bet if you had a good dad, if you just lived your life the way that you're living it now, I bet your dad wouldn't be good with that. And I don't think the Lord is either. I'm willing to bet folding money that when you were a kid, when you just did whatever you pleased, your dad didn't just let that that go, right? We have to have a healthy fear for the Lord because he wants more for you. God has so much more for your life. In fact, one of the problems that many of us may have is that God wants more for our life than we do. But we just casually walk by as he calls out to us. We, we go to church when we feel like it. We, we pray when we get sick or when we need something. But other than that, you know, God's just, for many of us, God is an accessory in our otherwise overcrowded life. That is not a fear of the Lord. I'm talking about the God who created the universe, a universe so vast that our scientists, even now, are just beginning to wrap their arms around how vast it is. At his command are legions of angels, the God who is on his throne in heaven right now, and the creatures all around him, the creatures that can see him, as Isaiah says, are all they can do is bow at his feet and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the way we approach that God sometimes just doesn't show that we have a fear of the Lord. But it's so important because a fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom. And so the second way we get wisdom is this, it's to read scripture. We read scripture, we get wisdom from scripture. Psalm 19:7 says the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing to the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Now, maybe you don't think of God's law as perfect. Maybe you don't think of rules and statutes as refreshing to the soul, but I'm here to tell you if you don't you just don't read it enough. Like, like if you really dig into God's word and you study it and you understand all that it holds for you in wisdom and in truth and in life, you would see that it is perfect and trustworthy and restores the soul. And look, that, that verse says that it makes wise the simple. This means that 
you don't even have to be smart to be wise. That's good news for somebody out there. You don't have to be smart to be wise because God's word makes wise the simple. You know, Kevin Russell talked about this a couple weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, or uh, I forget who it was here, maybe it was Paul here, that when you first start reading God's word, you may not understand it all. Right, Paul tell you that? You may not understand it all when you start reading it, and that's okay, you keep reading. And then two weeks ago, Craig Grishel talked about finding a reading plan, a Bible reading plan, and that's a great idea, especially if you've had a hard time sticking with it in the past. And so here's a couple ideas for you if you're not good at reading scripture. Uh, go, if you have a mobile device or a, a tablet, uh, download this app, Uversion. Uh, go search Y-O-U-Version. If you uh, look on that in the Apple Store or in the Android Store, you'll find it. It's got many, many different versions of the Bible, but it also has several different reading plans that you can go through. You can read the Bible in a year. You can read the Bible in two years. You can go through the New Testament in 90 days. There's all kinds of different plans. It'll tell you what to read. It gives you an opportunity to go through that. So just download that app. If you don't have a device, uh, you can go online to the web at BibleGateway.com. This is one of my favorites uh, BibleGateway.com. If you go to that website, it's got the Bible, many, many different translations of the Bible, but it also has in that little yellow bar there, if you can see, it says, read through the Bible in 2015 with our new and improved Bible reading plans. You can go there and you can download it. And every week, uh, every day, it will send you uh, the verses you need to read for that. You can do it the old fashioned way. Pick up a Bible and start reading. <laughs> um, I don't recommend you start in Genesis. I've had to answer a lot of questions the last few weeks from people who started reading the Bible this year, and um, I, I don't have enough time to answer everybody's questions, and I don't have enough wisdom to answer everybody's questions. And so what I usually do is, is say, start in Luke or start in John and uh, start reading the New Testament and just pick it up and start reading and see if God doesn't use that to work in your heart. And so the third way we get wisdom is this. We, we ask God. You know, as you sit down to read... If you've got a Bible reading plan or you're reading through the Bible, don't just think, all right, I got 15 minutes, I got to get through my four chapters or my three pages or my whatever. Um, ask God. You know, before you start reading, just pray an earnest prayer. God, show me what you want me to learn from this today. You know, make, make a, a passage just jump off the page or jump off the screen. And James 1.5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If any of you, any means any, okay? If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, right? Some of you have really, really difficult, important decisions to make. And you're doing research and you're asking friends and you're digging deep within yourself to try to find that answer. But you are chasing the wind. Because there's a God who loves you. And he already knows your future. He already sees what he has for you. He, he knows that he's got great plans for you. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. There's one who sees the best path and he's willing to show you if you'll just ask him he gives wisdom generously to all but you have to ask as craig talked about two weeks ago craig rochelle he talked about these little text message prayers you remember that talked about uh, you know 140 characters or less these little prayers I, I i do these all day long you know if um most of mine throughout the day are for wisdom 
I'm, I'm entering into a conversation. God, give me wisdom. Help me to know what to say to this person. I'm, somebody comes up to me after a service, and they need prayer, and they're telling me their story, and it's just breaking my heart. I don't even know how to pray for you, but I can pray to God. God, give me, give me the words to say. Give me the prayer I need to pray. You ever, you ever um, get a phone call that, or a voicemail, and you go to return the phone call, and you're, it's ringing, and you think, I haven't even thought about what I'm going to say on this call. Like, I've got to tell this person something, and I don't even know what I'm going to say. I'll just pray. God, give me the words to say. I need your wisdom today. Tell me what to say. Send up a prayer. God, give me wisdom. Give me the words. Give me strength. Someone, you know, someone needs my help. Tell me how to help them. Ask God for wisdom. Number four is this, fourth way we find wisdom. Hang out with wise people. Hang out with wise people. I'm going to talk to some of you out here who are getting wisdom from the wrong places. Um, you've got a group of friends. You've got some family members, and it's convenient for you to get wisdom from them, but they don't have the wisdom you need. You know, so many times, some of us, if I can be honest with you for a minute, some of us base who we listen to on how accessible they are. And so we'll, we'll ask wisdom from the person who works in the cubicle next to us because they're right there. Or we'll get wisdom from our neighbor. Or we'll get wisdom from uh, the person who lives in the same house with us but doesn't have the same belief system that we have. The truth is they may not have wisdom that you need to make the important decisions. And, and some of you, quite honestly, you need to stop taking advice from the people you're taking advice from. I mean, if you want financial advice, you probably wouldn't take it from someone who's in debt up to their eyeballs and doesn't have a retirement fund to speak of, Right? You wouldn't do that because you know they're not wise. I mean, you can't always tell by looking, by the way. Your neighbor who has two new cars in their driveway may or may not be the best source of financial advice. You probably wouldn't take relationship advice from someone who's on their fifth marriage. Might be a beautiful person with a great heart, but and they don't know relationships. Would you, get, would you go to a personal trainer who weighs 300 pounds? Probably not, unless you weigh four, right? <laughs> Would you take career advice from the lady at the drive-thru? Probably not. Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, you may think, yeah, I hang out with foolish people, but I'm not like them. I don't, I don't do the things that they do, and that may be true, but that's not what the verse says. It says a companion of fools suffers harm. Hang out with enough fools for long enough, and eventually, you're going to suffer harm. Now, this doesn't mean you necessarily cut off those relationships in your life with foolish people. They, they may need you in their lives, but what it does mean is you don't, don't go to them for advice. Don't listen to them. Certainly, don't do what they do. We all have to make decisions, and we all have to live with the consequences of those decisions. And as we're making decisions, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you give wisdom so freely and so generously to all of us who, who would come and ask. I'm thankful that you use you know, your word, you use wise people, that you use prayer to bestow wisdom on us. And for those of us who follow you, God, we want you to be the not just the savior of our life. We need that. 
Lord, we want you to be the Lord of our life. We want you to point us in the direction you'd have us go, and we're thankful that you offer that through Scripture. Now, maybe for some of you here today, the best decision you can make is to trust your life to Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. He left his perfect home in heaven. He came to earth to live a life fully human. He lived a perfect life and set an example for us. He carried our sin to the cross, and he died so that we could be free from the burden of sin. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead to show us that we can overcome any obstacle, anything in our life, including death. And Lord, for the people that are here today that just desperately need to know you, I pray that you would make yourself apparent to them. Would you reveal yourself to them? If you're here today and you've never made that decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you could do that today. You could just pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I need you in my life. I'm so tired of doing this on my own. God, I have sinned and fallen short. And I need your son, Jesus, to come and pay the price for my mistakes. Send your Holy Spirit into my life to lead me and guide me. And Lord, I'll follow you the rest of my days. If you just pray that prayer with me, welcome to the family of God. He is waiting for you to guide you and direct you and to show you how to live. Lord, for the rest of us, we just thank you that we can find wisdom in you. We're gonna come to you now in a time of worship through song. We praise you for everything that you've given us in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'd love it if you'd stand with me and sing this one last song.